the message today. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. But I don't know if you, uh, I know a lot of you do teach. Not many of you get to preach often. And uh, I don't know where I got this. I'm sure it wasn't my creativity. I'm, I'm a great borrower. But years ago, I began preparing my sermons with taking the first page and writing, So what? And then the last page, which was blank, so what? And you, we can go into a text and we can study it and get all kinds of things, and, but why? There needs to be a purpose. What are we aiming at? And today, I'm, I'm not doing an exegetical message because I don't have last week or next week to tie it all in with. So we're going to look at a topic today. But as we look at the Christian life, it's the same thing. We have a mandate from, from Scripture about a variety of things in our lives, and that's the so what. That's the reason why we need to do those things. I'm going to keep moving away. Um, so, as we study the passage today, I want you to look at your life. And when we finish this message, I want you to ask yourself the question, so what? What does this mean about how I live my Christian life? What does this mean about my choices, about what I do with my time, my talents, my treasure? It's important that we think about our Christian life. Coming to church on Sunday is a delightful thing. It's good. It's cheerful for all of us. It's good to see each other. But that's not enough. We live for seven days a week in the light that God gives us to honor him and help others. So keep that in mind as we work our way through it. So uh, this, the parable of the sower, in the biblical text, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great value or price, all these eventually surface as Jesus is rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth. And then in the biblical text, things get dicier. They get even worse. And Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, begins, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's why all these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. There was an immoral relationship there. And John, like a true Baptist preacher, he was John the Baptist, right? Corny old joke. We always tell the truth. And so he told Herod the truth, and he didn't like it. And you know that this soap opera ended with John the baptizer. That's the word actually means baptizer. Uh, after he faithfully preached the gospel, confronted sin, told of the coming of the Savior, etc., he was beheaded. That was the reward of this life that led to eternal life with God, which made it all okay. And so John's disciples took his body buried it 
And they went and told Jesus what had happened. We should always think about this as our first step of anything. You know, when a crisis hits in your life, what do you do? You know, the average American probably has a little sentence of swear words when things go wrong. But we as Christians, we are to take our problems, our burdens, our difficulties, and tell them to Jesus. He doesn't think you're perfect. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. He knows life's rough. And we're to go to him first. So often, though, as believers, we don't. We have pity parties and other inappropriate activities or whatever, and that's not how it works. And so this, this execution of John, though, is tragic purely from a human perspective. However, from the divine perspective, the divine view, John completed this assignment. And now, he's in the presence of God, the literal presence of God. John's disciples experienced a severe blow, though. I mean, he was their leader. He was their everything. And now, they're without that person. And so, they experienced this emotional and psychological blow. And they deliver the news to Jesus. They tell him about Herod and this young lady who did a dance for him, a lewd dance, and how that all turned his heart and he was convinced to execute John the Baptist. He'd gotten so wound up by her performance that, and her mother asked the wicked king for John the Baptist's head. What a perverted world, huh? But guess what? It hasn't changed. That's why we still need Christ. That's why we still need the Word of God. Mankind is corrupt. Even when he does good, it's usually for the wrong reason. They delivered the news that John is dead, murdered, by Herod at the request of his daughter, stepdaughter. Heartbreaking. A girl so excited the king that he sold out what he knew was wrong just because he wanted to please her. Gave her the head of John the Baptist on a platter, literally. Not a very pretty scene here, is it? Not something you want to ponder long. But the next verse in John's Gospel, verse 14, uh, 14, 13, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a place by himself. So Jesus, the word got to Jesus from John's disciples, and Jesus went off to be alone. We often do that, don't we? When things are difficult, we want to just get away for a while. And so... Okay? <laughs> I didn't do that. But uh, anyhow, so some had incorrectly assumed that Jesus was running away from Herod, afraid he was going to go after him next. That's what people presumed. Wasn't the case, however. We know Jesus better than that. But it was foolish because Jesus is in charge of everything. He's God in the flesh. 
And so he made a very, uh, made very, made it very apparent, very obvious that this was in response to Pilate's actions, but also he was preparing for what he was going to do next. And regarding his getting away, his getting off by himself, pondering what had happened to John. John was his cousin also in the flesh. It's a very terrible thing that happened. So sympathy and for the time being some quiet, just to ponder once again. Even though Jesus is God, he's God in flesh. And so he's got our emotions and everything as well. And so he went off to be alone. He wanted to just get away, not to run away, not fearing anything, but to go to a place where he could have peace and ponder and look for God's reinforcement and love. Verse 13, now, when Jesus heard that he withdrew from there in, in a boat to a desolate place by himself, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When they went ashore, when he went ashore, they came and saw a great crowd and had, he had compassion on them. He healed their sick. Verse 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said that they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the lo loaves and gave them to the disciples and gave them, they gave them to the crowd. And they came and ate and were satisfied. And they took up. 12 baskets full of broken pieces and leftovers. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, 5,000 men, women, and children that Jesus fed from this meager little lunch. And Jesus got into a boat to go across the lake. When the people heard of it, they, they wanted to get there, right? So re reviewing this. And that's where we're at right now, across the lake. Uh, you know, it, it's called the Sea of Galilee, and that's an appropriate title, but it's not a sea. It's a, actually a lake, but it's about eight miles across at, at its largest. It's a big lake. Some of you have been there, haven't you? I've been there a number of times, and uh, it's, it's a huge lake. In fact, it gets big waves on it. Not many of uh, the fishing lakes around here would have waves, but it has huge waves, ones that would come into the boats. And that was another story in the gospel, by the way. So, <clears throat> but there were a few lessons that they needed to learn. Uh, Jesus wanted them to be properly motivated by the actions of ministry. The, these were his disciples. These were the ones who were following him. Once he picked to come along and learn and to prepare them to take the gospel forward. When he died, he knew it was coming. He was God, so... And he was preparing them for that. And a few lessons from this uh, come to you and me as well, and we don't want to miss them. He uh, showed us a picture of the love of God, the love that is to manifest itself in all of life 
because the true believer, the Christian, you can take it this personally. The unbeliever, this isn't accessible to them until they believe. But for the believer, this is for you. Consider this question. Do you find yourself deciding in your mind who is and who isn't worthy of your ministry? Have you ever pondered that idea? Are, are there people who are not worthy of your ministry? If you're a Christian, you have ministry. It may not be something formal in a church, but we are all called ministers of the gospel. Men, women, boys and girls who know Christ, who have the Holy Spirit living in them, we have ministry. And it's important what you do with that. It's important how you use that. And I actually have known Christian people who wouldn't minister to certain ethnicities. Others that wouldn't talk to people who were under 12 years old because they weren't you know, old enough to be of value. We're to minister to anyone and everyone we come across. If they're good, bad, ugly, whatever, we have no right to take what Christ has put in us for ministry to re reserve that for only certain people that we think are worth it. We need to not decide in our minds who deserves it, who doesn't. We just need to serve, period. I know that I've wrestled with it on occasions. I found myself being judgmental as a Christian, as a pastor, letting my heart run the wrong way and just think, well, you know, they're not worth it. That's not my call. That's sin. I had to repent of that. And I may have to again in the future. I hope not. But to be faced with God's truth, we are all called to ministry, all Christians. And we're not to uh, disregard any group. But sometimes we do find ourselves, well, they're not ready, they're not worthy of mine, whatever. But we need to decide we're going to minister, period. Remember, as I mentioned in the beginning, so what? Well, there's a lot of so what's in this. It has implications and applications for our lives. We need to carry it on. <clears throat> what about someone you just can't seem to forgive? You have no right to that. We are Christians. We're not normal people. We're not average people. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have God's Word directing us, and we are to forgive like Jesus. The Scripture says that very clearly, Christian. And we need to remind ourselves of that. This is a personal opinion, so you don't have to agree or write it down. But I believe that one of the greatest hindrances to the gospel going forward today is Christians who aren't acting like Christians. We need to be like Jesus. Forgiving freely. Giving of our resources as much as possible for the glory of God. In the passage this morning, the Lord Jesus moved with compassion toward the people, and these people, for the most part, have come with less than honorable motivations. They want free food. Is that bad? 
I'll illustrate this with a personal embarrassment. You know, we have a food pantry and the food giveaway every two days every week. And when we first started doing that years ago, I, I, I began to question the legitimacy of some of the people coming. I, I think they, you know, they drove a really nice car, and so but they're picking up free food. That's not my business. My business is to give it. We're called to give, not to judge who gets. That's just mine, and you may not have that one. We've all got them, don't we? Jesus is being real clear with his disciples here. We're to have compassion toward people, all people. Whether they come to worship or not in church, you know there have been some people who have visited our church who didn't come to worship Jesus. There have been some who have come to meet girls. We've had to talk to them. But uh, all kinds of motivations. Some people come to get someone nagging them off their back. Are they worthy of the gospel? It doesn't matter. We're to give it to them, and we're to share God's love and his, his mercy and his grace with all people. So these didn't all come to be discipled, but he didn't turn them away. The disciples were ready to. His followers, the ones who would be teaching, the ones who walked and slept and ate with Jesus, and they were ready to reject people who weren't worthy. We have to be careful that we don't get like that. The feeding of the thousands was very significant. One reason is it stands out uh, as the only uh, miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels. It's the only one. A large crowd, 5,000 men, <clears throat> We're not told how many women and children, and it's about, anyhow, it's rough numbers. But even a conservative number would come up with multiplied thousands of people. You no doubt remember that he set out to be alone. And now thousands of people are ready to crowd in on him. He's moved with compassion for them. He had a plan. Now, he's, he's God in flesh, so he wasn't surprised by it. And yet, as a man, he made a certain plan. So we can, we can uh, compare ourselves a bit to that. But uh, this compassion, it means to be moved in your bowels, your, you know, where you get upset. It, it should trouble us when we see these kind of things, these desperate people. And we have the gospel. We have the answer. We have the only hope for life now and for eternity for anyone. We have it. And we need to be careful that we don't hide it, that we don't hoard it, don't hinder it. Jesus was moved by his feelings for the people, desperate. <clears throat> he was concerned, not if they followed him, just that he met the need. He didn't need to know if they're going to reciprocate sometime or not. It wasn't important. He cared about them and their desperate situation. It's contrary to everything that Jesus is, his very nature, not to care. He always cares. And brother and sister, we have Christ in us. We have no right not to care. Consider Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to give his life as a ransom for many. He died that we could be set free. Now, he hasn't called us to do that. We are not able to atone for anyone else, but we can pass on the information, <clears throat> show him the love. At the tomb of his friend Lazarus, remember Jesus wept. He was a real man. And now in the boat, looking at the crowd, he identified with their pain. He saw the mass of humanity suffering, wandering about like sheep without a shepherd, <clears throat> confused. Boy. And he put off his rest. He was going on the other side of the lake to be alone and to rest, pray. But he gave it up to serve people. They didn't deserve it. That didn't matter. People like you and me, aren't you glad he wasn't too busy to save you? Aren't you glad that he wasn't too proud not to take your sin upon himself? The Lord Jesus saw a multitude of men and women, boys and girls, and they were hurting, they were helpless, they were hopeless. The Lord knew also of their eternal needs. He knew that they would go to one of two places eventually. He wanted them to know the truth. At this point, the inspired scripture records for us a great contrast. The contrast between the compassion of Jesus and the lack of real concern on the part of his disciples. These are the good guys, we thought, but they're human as well. Verse 15, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away and go into the villages and buy food for them, to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fishes. Now the Sea of Galilee had a number of small towns around it. A lot of places, they could have gone lengthy walks to get there. We're not told of them using any boats to come across. So it would be a real challenge, at least. A lot of open space, a lot of nothing out there. It, it's still that way, by the way. There's a lot of parts of it that are still very, very wild. And in the account given by the Apostle John in his gospel, we learn that the Lord actually brought up the need, asking Philip where to buy bread. It's not that Jesus didn't know there wasn't any bread to be purchased. The Bible says that he was testing Philip. Have you ever thought about the fact that occasionally Jesus takes you through tests? He wants you to see yourself. He wants to challenge your presuppositions to see if they're really in accord with Scripture and accord with his teaching. He was testing them. And Jesus also knew there was nothing available in the area. It seems pretty apparent that Jesus wanted Philip to think beyond human resources. Evening was coming down on the crowd, a huge crowd, 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus told, I'm sorry, the crowd. And Jesus wants them to go 
elsewhere to stay. The disciples want them to go. They need to go back to the town, Jesus, to get food. And that, on a practical base, is very appropriate. Yeah. We don't have anything. Send them back. But they're a picture of fleshly thinking at this point. Their solution is to send the people away. And if all that they knew and thought was true, then that would be appropriate. That would be the right thing to do. They're not, they're not being wicked. They're just not being wise. They saw no way to meet the need. However, they'd forgotten who was with them. Now, they'd seen Jesus perform miracles. They knew he was a miracle worker. But I guess they forgot this evening. They'd forgotten who it was who was with them. They had seen him still the storms, heal the lame, the leper, the blind, raise the dead. You think he could provide some fish? I think so. But don't judge them too quickly, because I'm certain that you've acted like this, like those disciples on occasion. I have. But he is not like us. <clears throat> he raised others from the dead. He can do things we can't do. Jesus told his men that the people didn't need to go away to get food. He looked at them and said, you give them something to eat. Andrew had done a little advance work, and he said, we have five loaves and two fishes. Doesn't sound uh, like quite enough, does it? Maybe not even a crumb for everyone. But the Lord was trying to encourage their faith. They were responding with their very limited human resources of wisdom. In verses 16 through 20, Jesus said, They need not go away. Give them something to eat. <clears throat> they said to him, We have only five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked to heaven, said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were satisfied. And they took up baskets full, 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Where did it all come from? It was a miracle. That's what Jesus does. You can't hear it from the written page, but I imagine there may have been disappointment in his voice. I'm glad to do this, but I'm sorry you guys didn't get it. I'm sorry that you haven't caught on yet. Bring them to me. It was as if he was saying, I, I know you don't have the funds to buy the food you need. I wanted you to have faith. Believe me now and not your limited resources. With the fish and bread before him, he came to the multitude and gave them instruction to sit on the grass, sit in groups, and they distributed. But why does he want them to sit down? Control. At this point, he took the five loaves, the two fishes, he blessed it, 
And then he broke the bread and gave the fish to the disciples to distribute to the people. And all the people ate and they were filled. And it seems that the miracle must have been continuous. It just kept reproducing. And they just kept taking it to the people and getting it to everyone. The process continued till all were satisfied. It doesn't mean they all got a little crumb. They were satisfied. Each disciple would take a portion and go and then come back and get some more. The word used here is like an, annual, an animal who continues to eat and feed and just keep eating and eating. And that was going on in this area. And what a meal it was. Here was dinner provided by the Creator Himself. This multitude tasted a meal few ever will. The disciples gathered up 12 baskets full of leftovers, <clears throat> one basket for each of the disciples, perhaps, and 5,000 people were satisfied, the need met. Did they deserve that? Were they worthy of that? No. Jesus doesn't give to those who are worthy. He gives those who are needy and humble enough to ask. The disciples saw real compassion fleshed out. <clears throat> Christian, that means Christ is in you, right? How's your compassion? It's important that we do a check often because we can be very callous and we come up with a, a myriad of excuses of why we don't act compassionately. And I'm not talking about a sociological one like our world. I mean, real compassion like God gives. He didn't pick and choose who got it and who didn't. It just was for everybody that was there. Compassion. Real compassion. Christ entrusted you with time, talent, and treasure. Every believer has those three gifts from God. Those are things we can access. And we can access them on behalf of others to help other people as well. The disciples learned to find refreshment in the midst of serving. <clears throat> that was a big job, getting that to 5,000 men and then all the women and children. But they found the joy of it, of serving, and of serving people who weren't necessarily worthy. A lot of you have served in different capacities at this church and others you've been in. And uh, I still remember some of the places I've gone that were really, really rough neighborhoods and uh, bringing things to people. It's, it's so humbling to, to see someone who, uh, you know, they tell you, this guy just is in for murder. And to see the humility, prison has brought him to a point of understanding who they are. He can change people. You know, I've had a pen pal now for 17 years who's in prison. He uh, was in for second degree murder. Heartbreak. A kid on the streets over in San Fernando Valley. And uh, so we've written back and forth. And uh, I was finally going to get to visit him. And the day I was supposed to go, they moved him <laughs> to a different prison. So now he's up in Salinas when he was just a little ways over here. 
So I've never, I've never had a face-to-face -face meeting with him. But I've just written a letter to our governor asking him to commute his, his uh, sentence. Because he was a juvenile, uh, it was a long time ago, he got converted. He's a Bible teacher in prison now. He knows the love of Christ. He's a different person. That's what God's love does to even the vilest. I mean, this guy killed somebody. No excuse. And he doesn't give excuses. He says, I was young, yeah, but it was, it was wrong. I, just, I was a different person, though. God changes us. And that's not to say every person there was going to change. But just know that it does happen. And this compassion of Christ that comes through his servants, it helps change people's lives. Do you live a life that people can look at and see God's love and offering? And, and by the way, I'm not telling you that story because I'm proud of what I'm doing. He approached me. And I was very tenacious about doing it. But God's great gift has come through. So the disciples learned orderliness. The Lord showed them how to get a job done, how to plan, how to get things going right. Uh, they learned about the scriptures and trusting Christ. Great experience. And the disciples learned that God has a rich supply to give to each disciple, but not to waste, not to hoard, to give away. Do you give to meet needs? While being a careful steward? We're not to be wasteful, we're not to be foolish, we're not to be scammed. We need to ask questions, but at the same time, we need to be generous, like Jesus. The Lord modeled it for you. <clears throat> he gives us resources, and we're to receive them, and then we're to use them. And you've got to take care of yourself and your family, but then you can go beyond that and do other things as well. In verse 19, then he ordered them to sit down, and all orderly, all set to go, got it done. You ever tried to be good at something only that you just want to impress people? That's not a godly motive. So you can be proud. I mean, it's, proud's a misused word. It's okay to feel good about what you've done and to know that you've accomplished something, but we need to be careful. A lot of people don't come to Christ because of the attitudes of Christians. As a pastor, I hear things that perhaps you don't hear, or at least not as many. And it breaks my heart when I hear people tell me, and I don't always believe them either, but some people are just bitter and want to make an excuse. But a lot of Christians aren't careful. They don't remember who they are in their exchanges with other human beings. We're to be full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. And by the way, for a lot of people, all people, that's more important than any resources of natural things. They need love. They need concern. They need compassion. You've got it, Christian. And you have, can never give it all away. You won't run out. Don't be afraid to give it. But because we don't think that way, we don't get out there and do it. Your life doesn't matter. Oh, your life matters a lot. Every one of you. So, in the Gospels, tell them to go away. We, we don't have enough. Tell them to go away. And Jesus said, no, no, you take care of them. 
Do what God says. The disciples said, we have only five loaves and two fishes. <clears throat> Jesus said, good, bring them to me. Let's get on with it. Whatever you've got. Not wait till you got enough. Use what you got now. And pour it on people. God tells you to do something, jump on it. So when Jesus heard that Herod was after him, he went across the lake. He wasn't running from Herod. He's God in flesh. He knows when his time's coming to die and he knows all that's going to happen. But he's getting away from all the noise and the chaos. And Herod's over there, so he's going over there. Gets in that boat. And people hear he's going and they've heard rumors about him and his miracles and so they're running along the lake trying to get there. The disciples get there. They're overwhelmed. Their only answer is tell them to go away. We can't do anything. But Jesus says, you feed them. You should take that personal, Christian. You feed them. God will always replenish your supplies from one harvest to the next. It may not be dollar for dollar if you're accounting because sometimes you don't need those dollars. You need other things you don't even know you need yet. He'll supply what you need, which is far better than piles of money. The disciples saw what real compassion looks like in the, the links that it goes to. The disciples learned to bring their resources no matter how small to the Lord. The disciples learned to refresh themselves in the midst of serving the disciples learned the importance of living life beyond human, the human plane. The disciples learned orderliness that showed how to get a job done. The disciples learned that God is rich and will supply the needs of people. The Lord modeled for you what you're to do. Give your resources. Receive them. Give thanks. Give them away for his glory. So what do you want God to do for you? What needs to change in your life? How are you going to more fully fulfill this thing called Christian? Letting him use you to get his work done for his glory. Pray with me. Father, today, thank you for the reminder. And Lord, uh, you know, for me, this is all so much more because I've studying it all week and just analyzing myself and looking at my life and feeling kind of like, man, I got no right talking to anybody else about this. But at the same time, I know that you are going to use me. You're going to use all of us. And to the capacity that we allow you, help us all to be sold out, knowing that we're Christians by your grace, your good gift, and that you want to use us to share, to share the gospel, to share the good news with people. And Lord, I know a lot of Christians, oh, I, I can't talk to people. Lord, I pray you'll give them boldness, help them realize they can. And they know a lot that other people don't know. And it's not about winning arguments. It's not about uh, doing anything except just sharing your love. Help us be compassionate with the gospel, with our resources, with our attitudes, with our evaluations of others. Let us be people who reflect Christ.
And we pray for this because we know it will give you much glory. And that's our goal. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.